morning. Wow. Y'all can't do two things at once, evidently. Sit and say good morning. Good morning. There we go. Yeah. So good to be with you again. Um, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. I had an opportunity to meet a few um, guests and friends just uh, coming to join us for the first time. And some have been here a couple times and I hadn't had a chance to say hello to previously. And so, so glad that you are here uh, with us this morning. And uh, just a, a joy to worship with you and to uh, have an opportunity to meet with you. We're going to continue in our study this morning in the book of Daniel. Um, and so if you've been with us over the last number of weeks, and now probably going on a couple months, you'll know that we've been working our way through the book of Daniel. That's our habit uh, here at the Parks Church, is just to work our way book through book and kind of verse by verse. And so as Garrett read for us, uh, Daniel chapter 9, the beginning, he read the first half. And um, so uh, just uh, such a joy, by the way, just to think uh, as Garrett read and um, Grayson and Colin led us in worship, three of our seniors that uh, I had a chance, to, I just was thinking as he was reading about baptizing Garrett here not too long ago, just a few years back, and such a really cool thing for me. So if I get a little emotional, just forgive me. Um, we're in that season of emotions running high. But we're in Daniel chapter 9, and... Um, before we get there, and sort of as an intro to this, um, I, you heard uh, uh, Kent uh, reference our Get to Know the Parks dinner that's happening tonight at 5, and one of the things that we'll do uh, tonight, uh, for those of you that have maybe just have some curiosity, haven't had a chance to, to worship with us very often or for, for long, and you want to kind of know a little bit more about our church, one of the things we'll talk about is sort of the history of our church. We'll just share some of how we uh, came to exist here in Melissa and uh, start and all of those sorts of things. So I'm going to steal a little bit of my thunder um, this morning as a sort of intro to this text. But um, so, by the way, if you are that person, we want to invite you to come to dinner tonight. If you have not uh, had a chance to um, uh, join us for one of those Get to Know the Parks dinners, please go to the back after the service, find Paul and Rachel Freeland, and um, let, make sure that they're able to kind of give you instructions on how to gather with us tonight. But eight years ago, God called our family, just approximately eight years ago, uh, called our family to move uh, from McKinney. And um, he had called us a number of years prior to that into vocational ministry and given us a heart uh, for church planting and to start new churches and, uh, or a church. Or we have, and, and so uh, we moved and we put our house up for sale in McKinney, knowing that the, knowing that the time for us to move was kind of uh, then. It wasn't a great time, but it just seemed to be clear to us from the Lord that the season and the timing of that was, was at that point. And so uh, we sold our home and um, we ended up here in Melissa. Not um, really on purpose, um, but primarily because we were able to find a home that our good friend had found for us that we could rent on a month-to-month -month basis at 1604 Granbury Drive in Melissa, Texas. And so uh, we rented that house. We didn't know exactly what God was doing in our lives and in the story that he was writing for us, but we trusted that that was where we were supposed to go, and so we rented that house and we're essentially sort of came there, came here in waiting for what God would reveal to us as far as where we should go in, in, in our next step in ministry. 
A few months in, we make friends and we, you know, show up to the football games and kind of uh, sit down and start to meet people and, and just enjoy the fellowship of this community as we got to know this community. Um, the Lord just uh, made it really abundantly clear to us that we were supposed to stay here and to plant um, a church, uh, which ultimately became this church. But one of the things that God did in the process of uh, landing us in that home is if I know the little bit of the backstory, is that 1604 Granberry had been lived in by an elderly gentleman, and he had lived there for a number of years. And at some point in his uh, life, he had uh, become ill and had not been able to take care of the house in the way that it needed to be. And so the house that we moved into was a little bit in some disrepair. And so his family moved him so he could be closer to them where they could care for him. Uh, his family moved him to Houston. So he moved to Houston and that allowed for this home to be available. Uh, the house had sat empty for almost a year, unable to be sold because of the disrepair that it had been in. And so my friend had worked out an agreement that, hey, the Rosses will move in there. And they didn't know us very well, but he convinced them that we'd make it look good. And so uh, we'll move in, and they'll take good care of it. They'll clean that house up, and they'll get it ready to sell and put it on the market for you. And so that's how uh, we came to land in that home. All of those events, clearly we can see backwards, orchestrated by God. God in his sovereignty determined that he would build a church here in Melissa, that it would be called the Parks Church, but in order to do that, he would work backwards in time and history to move events so that a gentleman would be moved out of his home so he could be closer to his family where they could care for him more effectively so that that home would become available. And it would sit empty for a year because the real estate market in that season and time was down and there was not a lot moving in real estate in those days so that this other gentleman could come in and offer that this family that really had never done this before would move in and would clean up a house and get it ready to be on the market all according to the perfect will of God in his perfect timing to accomplish what he intended to accomplish in our lives. And so we move in and we live there for a few months and we begin to make friends in this city and get to know uh, various people. But it wasn't until after we lived here and I was commuting back and forth to my job at that time, uh, serving uh, as a, a missions pastor in another church, but I'm coming back up from north on 75, and as I'm driving, it was one evening, and as I often do when I'm by myself, my kids don't let me do this when I'm with them, but I'll just be singing at the top of my lungs, worshiping Jesus, um, sometimes rocking out to a little bit of eight, 80s on 8 or whatever, but most of the time just worshiping Jesus and singing. And as I'm coming up, and you know guys that live here in Melissa, you kind of go up over the hill you cross the QT, and then you come down the hill, and then you start coming back up to your exit at 121. I just remember I was singing to Jesus and thinking about what he's doing in our lives, and I just began to weep. And God, in that, that moment in time, was breaking my heart and giving me a supernatural love for the people of this city, for you. He was calling me to plant our family and to, to commit our lives to serving his kingdom in this city. I don't say any of that to pat myself on the back, but I say that so that you understand that God in his sovereignty to accomplish his perfect will 
so that you would experience the love of the body of Christ as you walked in on a Sunday morning to gather and praise his name, so that you'd get a hug from a friend or a neighbor, so that you would have new relationships of, that pointed you to Christ and reminded you of how much he loved you. He did all of those things that seemed trivial and to the naked eye or to the man who's just looking at things sort of in a common sense way of looking says, that's just the way things unfold. But no, that's not what happened. What happened, happened because God said that it would happen. And God ordained. And he caused me to be broken and just gave me a love for a community that I had only lived in for a few months. All of that to accomplish his perfect will. And we all know this was before the Bucky sign. So any man who cries at the 121 exit (laughs) is a little bit... There's something happening there. Now, you're thinking to yourself, I heard Garrett read Daniel chapter 9, and now Ryan's barely on the brink of tears with me over here talking about a move to this city. What do those two things have to do with one another? Well, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel prayed a prayer of lament. All that we heard read for us in that first half of, half of this chapter is a lament, a broken heart. Daniel is brokenhearted over the sins of his people people that he loves, people that he knows have disobeyed, been disobedient to God. And in this prayer, this is his prayer that Garrett read for us, he's crying out to God for mercy, even when he knows that the people of God deserve judgment for their sins. I had cried out to God for him for many years Some close friends in my family know that we had cried out to God for a number of years asking the Lord to reveal to us what our sort of next step in ministry was and leading us into the calling that he had led us. And in his perfect timing, he orchestrated all those events that I just shared with you in answer to my prayer. God also heard Daniel's prayer in the same way that he hears our prayers And in this chapter, we're reminded of the one who was there in the very beginning and will be there in the very end. Daniel cries out in prayer to God, and God answers with assurance that he will be, is always, can be nothing else but faithful to the end. Some of you, as I might have been sharing a little brief synopsis of our life story over the last eight years, perhaps you were thinking about your own lives and how God has moved in your life and orchestrated events. And if nothing else, one of the things that I hope and pray that you might leave here this morning recognizing and understanding is that these things didn't just happen out of circumstance, that you didn't just end up here because you decided to end up here. That you didn't end up in your life stage and kind of whether it's your marriage, whether it's your job situation, whether it's your friend, the relationships that you're in. Those things didn't just happen on accident. But God in his sovereignty is orchestrating and moving to accomplish what he desires to accomplish. I know we've got a great school district and many people are saying, I'm going to Melissa because I want to. But you know what? Let me back that up for you. You might be coming to Melissa for this or that or this or that or part of our area. But it's ultimately because God says that that's where you will be. And if God doesn't say that you will be there, you will not be there. You will be somewhere else. You'll go do something different. Now, if God has already spoken through his word, there are some things we don't have to wait on God for. 
I don't have to wait on God for him to tell me that I should die to myself and love my wife as Christ loved the church. That's something he's already said. I don't need to be reminded of that. I do need to be reminded of that, but I don't need to really be reminded of that. She's looking at me. Y'all go back and talk to Rachel and Paul after service. Don't come talk to her. I don't need to be reminded to lead my kids and my family spiritually and to point them to Christ and the Lord and all that I do as often as I can. I don't need to be reminded to be charitable and hospitable and kind because those are things that God's already done. He's told me all of these things. He's told me through his word and his word is the authority for my life and our lives. But as we look at our lives and think about all of the ways that God is moving in our lives, we need to remember that God will accomplish his purpose. He's told us this. And Daniel, as he prayed to God, acknowledging all that his people had done, he also was asking God to redeem his people, to restore his people. So let's look a little closer at Daniel's prayer. It says there in Daniel 9, verse 1, just reread just a little bit of this. In the first year of Darius, the son of Aarhus, the descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, so you hear Daniel, perceived in the, book, uh, in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Garrett didn't read that for us, but that's the preface to his prayer. That's sort of the introduction to what Daniel would pray and what Garrett read for us. And he, notice what he's doing there. Daniel, the ever faithful one, gives us a model for life. He opens up his Bible. He is reading from the prophet Jeremiah, just one book prior to Daniel, just a few books prior to Daniel. You see Jeremiah, the prophet. And Daniel is reading this prophet, and as he is reading, he's asking God to speak to him, to reveal something to him, to tell him of what is to happen and just how he should lead his life. And as he is prayerfully reading the holy word of God, he says he perceived the years that must pass before, that would come to end before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem. Now, if you haven't been with us, I'm just going to give you a very, very quick recap. This is a recap in 30 seconds. You need to go back to the podcast and catch up on one through eight. But Daniel is taken captive with a bunch of friends out of his home, Jerusalem, into Babylon under the rule of an evil king, King Nebuchadnezzar. So all of Israel is taken into captivity. And while that is happening over a number of years, at this point in time, when we get to Daniel chapter 9, Daniel has now been in captivity for 66 years. So 66 years have passed by and Jerusalem has been decimated under persecution, just not, no longer being the city of God that it was established to be. And so he perceives that Jeremiah, the prophet, has said that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. And so upon thinking about that, he's saying, I know that Jeremiah says that the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70 years. I've been here, I know, for 66 years. That means we're coming near the end of this. That the time is close. We're only four years away. Now some of you think four years is a long time. That's all you believe until you have a freshman who is now a senior. So Daniel begins to pray earnestly before God, acknowledging that the end is coming soon, the end of this de desolation of Jerusalem, and that God is surely going to act because he has promised that he would. And so he prays. 
And Daniel prays to God. I won't reread, but he essentially laments that he and his people were sinful. Now, Daniel's faith comes through in this, that we see that God had said, and according to the prophet Jeremiah, God had said that he would end the desolation of Jerusalem after 70 years. Daniel trusts that God's word is true, that it is the authority for his life, and so he says, okay, this time must be coming, and so I'm going to pray. Now, some of you might ask, some of us might ask, well, if Daniel, or if God has already told the prophet Jeremiah that the, the, the desolation of Jerusalem would last for 70 years, and that that time was nearing the end, 70 years, and that God would ultimately do that, he would end that desolation, why would Daniel pray? What's the purpose of Daniel praying to God and asking him to show his mercy and asking him for forgiveness and lamenting over the sins of his people if God had already ordained and said he would do the things that he would do? The answer is because we pray primarily because God has told us to pray. God has given us the opportunity to pray. God has said that he hears our prayers. So we pray because we desire that God's will, whether we know it's already been told to us or whether we want to hear from him or discern it more clearly, he's told us that he hears our prayers and that he will do what he promises us. God, we also pray because God has said that he will accomplish his will in answer to our prayers. Now, let me be clear. God doesn't change. God is unchanging. That is an attribute of God. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change directions. He doesn't do any of those things. So how is it that God could be sovereign and have all of his plans made and everything accomplishing and happening according to his perfect will, and yet our prayers are answered in response according to his will because God has ordained that he would hear our prayers and he would accomplish what he intends to accomplish in answer to those prayers. Let me ask it to you this way. Some of you may have promised your kids a vacation. You've promised the kids a vacation. You're about to take them. You're about to tell them where they're going. And one of the little ones, your daughter cries out to you, oh, please, dad, let it be Disney World. Let's go to Disney. Sorry, parents. Just planted that seed for all those kids. Luckily, the youngest ones are in the other room. But your daughter cries out, let me go to Disney World. And so you hand a gift, a box, and you ask her to open it up, and she opens, she peels back, she opens up this box, and inside there's a whole package of magic bands and luggage tags with Mickey on the top of them. Did your will change? Did you go to Disneyland because your daughter's plea and say, oh, daddy, please let us go to Disney World? Or had you already set into motion the things that you would do and you just answered her request? In a small way, that's how it is that we pray. God has already established his purposes and his plans and in his sovereignty, he is moving and orchestrating time and events to accomplish those things he intends to accomplish. But because of his love for us, he's given us the opportunity to pray to him and to seek his will. And in answer to our prayers, he moves. It's a beautiful thing. It's an honor that we have, that we get to pray. And so Daniel, as we work our way through this text in the first, uh, or the five, uh, verses 5 through 10, Daniel is just a prayer of confession. He just confesses to God that he and his people have been sinful. We have, verse 5, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled. 
turning aside from your commandments and your rules. And he continues for five more verses talking about how he and the people have rebelled against God. And he just confesses that. So we can model, as you hear me say this, just model some of our prayer after him. Verses 11 through 14, he picks up that God has, is righteous and is right to judge their rebellion. Sometimes we wonder when we sin, when we rebel against God, is it right that God should judge? Well, he is righteous. Again, another attribute of God is that he is righteous. He must do the right thing. He is just. And so, he says in verse 11, he picks up there. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And and the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He just acknowledges that God is right for judging the sins of his people. And again, he continues that as you read on 11 through 14. But in 15 and 16, he turns and in his prayer, he reminds God of the way that he had moved. He reminds God of what he did in Egypt as he brought his people out of exile or out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land. He says, God, verse 15, and now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. He reminds God, you did this. You did that for your glory. You brought your people out. And then he begins to plead to God in verse 17 for mercy. He says, now therefore, our, O oh, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, for your glory, he says, O oh Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. He's thinking to his home in Jerusalem and the temple that he remembered worshiping in as a child. And now he's 66 years later, he's thinking back and he's asking God, to hear his prayer. And then finally in verse 19, the heart just comes fully apparent of Daniel. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. He cries out to God, and you can just envision Daniel pleading with God, knowing that he is promised through the prophet Jeremiah that at the end of the 70 years, he's going to restore Jerusalem. Daniel still goes to the Father and prays. And so as we think about how we pray, I'll give you five steps in prayer that we can model after Daniel. One, we acknowledge our sin and we confess This is something, brothers and sisters, that is far too often a lost art. We don't confess. We don't repent. We don't often enough acknowledge our sinfulness. We are a sinful people. Paul himself, the writer of a third of the New Testament, says, the things I wanted to do, I don't do. I'm the chief among sinners. All are are sinners and fall short of the righteousness of God, he says in Romans. He tells us over and over again, God's word reveals to us the sinfulness of our own hearts. And it's not as if we need help in that because last time I checked, I woke up this morning realizing, dude, it's rough. I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. I need redemption. 
Y'all can almost say it with me if you've been here long enough. I'm a train wreck. I don't have anything figured out. I'm not the master of my own domain. I'm not the one who accomplishes great things. I am weak. I am tempted often to sin. My flesh just wars against the Spirit of God in me. We have to learn and remember. We have to confess and praise God that we can confess and repent. We don't have to hide. We don't have to pull back. I know it's often too common in the church life that we have to wear a mask when we come into the church body and say, no, I've got it all figured out. I'm perfect. I'm cleaned up. That's not what this place is. That's not what the church is. That's not what any of us believe. And if you've heard that or if you've acted as if that's true in your own life, if you haven't been able to just take off the mask and say, man, I'm messed up. Let me just explain to you, you're diminishing the work of Christ on the cross when you do that. You're saying, I have it figured out enough on my own. I have enough self-righteousness within myself that I do not need the work of Jesus Christ on the cross to redeem and bring me to full life. Don't belittle the work of Jesus on the cross. Be quick to confess to God and repent of sin. What was Jesus' first sermon, if you were with us, when we walked through the book of Mark? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, Mark 1.15. The very first public sermon that Jesus spoke was a call to confess and repent. And we need to become people who quickly and often and easily just let down all of the walls and say to Jesus and to God, Lord, we have sinned against you. Yes, you've messed up that relationship with your friend. You've messed up that relationship with your spouse. You've, done, you've lied, you've stolen, you've cheated, you've done all of those things. And there's an individual, a human component to that, a lateral or a horizontal component that we have sinned against one another in those things. But first and foremost, we have sinned against the almighty God. Let us be quick to be people who confess and repent as Daniel does. And let us begin and come to God quick to do that because guess what that puts us in a posture to do? To acknowledge that we are weak, that we need a Savior, that we need a Redeemer. And if you're struggling in your ability to worship Jesus, if you're struggling in your ability to come and sing, to go to the Lord in prayer and to praise God, let me just help you out, brothers and sisters. More than likely, you have not been easily, you have not been quick to confess and repent. Because when you go to God and acknowledge your sinfulness and just lay your heart before Him and you receive His mercy and His grace and His kindness, you will stand and sing. You will worship God. You will drive in your truck looking like a crazy man, singing to Jesus because of what he's done for you. Confess. And then two, acknowledge that God is right. Yes, God, you are correct. I am a sinner. I am unworthy. And what you owe to me is judgment. What I deserve is to be cast out from you. That's what Daniel said. Our people, we deserve this exile. You've sent us into Babylon and we have been in captivity now for 66 years because we did that. And you were right to do that. And just acknowledge that the consequences of sin, a friend of mine often says, you choose the sin, you do not choose the consequence. The consequences are varied in many and we never know. 
But we can just expect that consequences will come and we acknowledge that God is right. And after we acknowledge God is right in His judgment, though, we remember, as Daniel remembered in verse 15, and as he looked back to the Exodus as God called His people out of slavery into sin and brought them into the freedom and the righteousness of God, we remember that we have a Redeemer. We remember that we've been set free. And then, after that time of worship, after confessing our sins, acknowledging that God is right to judge us, confessing those sins and saying, yes, God, you're right about that, and then receiving his grace and mercy and remembering that we have a redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, who paid it all on the cross for our sins, then we ask God to hear and to listen and to move. We ask him to hear us, to listen, and then to move. And when we pray, all that we're doing is we're acknowledging that God is sovereign, and we're not. When we pray, we're acknowledging that God must move because we cannot. When we pray, we acknowledge that we are dependent upon God. When we pray, we are made small, and God is lifted up as big. And ultimately, when we pray, we're doing what Daniel did, 66 years into his captivity, praying and saying, we place our trust in God's timing and in his perfect will. And as we place our trust in God, we trust that he's going to do what he says he'll do. He's already promised you. If you know Christ today, he's already promised you that you will, as we sang, rise amongst the saints and you will see him face to face. He has promised to do good His promise that his will for you will be for your good and for his glory. And so we can just trust whatever it is, Lord. My life is an open book to you because I trust and believe what you say is true. And so in response to this prayer, Daniel is confronted by Gabriel. I'm going to pick up for us in verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, this is Daniel, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, who I had seen in the vision, you might remember him from earlier in our study here, in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. So God is hearing Daniel pray, and God sends Gabriel, and notice he doesn't send him slowly, he sends him swiftly. Go and answer that man's prayer, and remind him and tell him that he is loved. That's what he starts with. He doesn't start with telling him all of the plans and all of the details and all those things. He reminds him that he is loved. My guess is if we could get to the heart of the matter in each of your lives, and unfortunately we don't have time here this morning to do that, to unpack and have you all come forward and let's have a little kind of one-on-one counseling time. But if we got to the heart of the matter, your heart, the thing that you're yearning for that you need to know is are you loved? And you need to be reminded by God sometimes that you are loved in spite of all of that confession that you just did. You are loved and you are loved perfectly. And God has a plan for your life, a perfect plan. And God's plan is better than your plan, by the way. 
And it's the only plan that will actually be accomplished. So you might as well just get in line. It's what's going to happen. But know in your heart that you are loved. And then after telling Daniel of his great love, he unpacks this 70 weeks. Now, the 70 weeks of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through the end, is perhaps one of the most debated texts in all of the Bible. There's been so much debate, people trying to understand what did God say about these 70 weeks. The reason that it's so hotly debated and contested is to try and understand what did the prophecy mean? How was it fulfilled? What is God predicting the timing? And there has been all sorts of people trying to say that they know the end and how it will end and the timing, all these things, based on unpacking what these 70 weeks mean. Now, there are many wise scholars that have examined this and looked at it, and I'm not saying that it is not worth time looking at, but the purpose, as we remember, why did Daniel, why did God speak to Daniel, and why do we have this book? It was a reminder to give Daniel and all of his brothers and sisters, the people of God, hope in the midst of their exile. And we are reminded that we too are in exile today, even though we think we've got it all You know, sunshine and roses, things aren't great here. We are in exile. We've got a kingdom of God that we're a part of, a future home that's much greater than this place. And when we think of that, we understand that we are also in exile. And so God has given us the same reason he gave it to Daniel. He's given us this book. It's to give us a hope, a hope about the future. And so I'm not going to go through and unpack for you every one of the various, and there are many. We literally could be here until the Cowboys start again. So I know some of you are worried about, we don't have kickoff, but we could just stay here unpacking these 70 weeks for weeks and weeks on end. But that's not what we're going to do here this morning. Very briefly, the 70 weeks that, that Daniel describes, people have just determined that it surely couldn't be just a literal 70 weeks because what does God say? 70 weeks, picking up in verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city to finish the transgression. That's to finish the transgression against Jerusalem.
That is hope. What more is there? This body they may kill, but he is everlasting. We have hope. We have a future. I no longer, although, yes, I am a sinner, the judgment for sin, all that is due to me has been paid for fully through the blood of Jesus Christ as he laid down his life on the cross for my sins. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10 says this, In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. He gave us hope. If you don't know Christ today, you're wondering, are you really loved? You've come here this morning and you have very little hope. You are just, the the world looks bleak to you. Let me just tell you, you are a sinner and you are far off from God. And that doesn't sound like good news, but in the plan and perfect love of God, he brought you into this place so that you could hear about his son, a man named Jesus Christ, who went to the cross 2,000 years ago, laid down his life for that sin and that wickedness that separates you today from God so that he could then take up his life again and conquer sin and death for all time and give you the gift of welcoming you into his righteousness. In him, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. You may be far off from God today, but if you would put your hope in Jesus Christ, in the finished work of Christ, you would have that hope that Daniel prayed and that God gave Daniel in verse 24. You would have hope that, yes, wickedness exists, but it's been atoned for, that sin will end, and that we will have, there is an everlasting kingdom that he has been welcomed into. And so I just want to ask as we close this morning, let's just remember the hope that we have in Jesus. If you're not a Christ follower this morning, then I just ask you, bow your head right now. And you just allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak. You can can ignore what I say from here on out and just allow God himself to speak to your soul. And don't miss what he says as you do that. But if you're a Christ follower, if you're one of our brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, I just ask you also bow your head, close your eyes. And let's remember... Let's remember that God has fulfilled his promises to us. What we read about in Scripture, that verse from Ephesians, has, that's, that's the truth for our lives. And we can think back and remember. Think back right now to the very first time in your life that you can remember hearing about a God who loves you. Think back to the first time when you felt God drawing you close to him. The first time you heard God whisper in your ear, I love you. I'm enough. Think back to that day of your salvation. Whether you were 6, 16, or 66 years old, You were dead prior to that day, and God raised you to life. Think back and remember God's faithfulness. 
Think back now of how God has moved in your life to bring you where you are today, to bring you to this place, the gathering of the saints at the Parks Church in Melissa, Texas in 2019. Think back to the very first time you walked in the doors and worshiped with this faith family and how you've seen God move and use this body, his body, his church to strengthen you, to bless you, to give you hope. Think of all the promises that you've seen God fulfill in your life. And now, with all of that past work of God, the sovereign hand of God at work clearly in your life, and you've remembered those moments in times, we've just set up spiritual, mental altars in our minds of God's faithfulness to all of the unknown future, whatever 70 weeks that are a little bit hazy in front of us, we just give those to you, God. And we just say thank you that you have been faithful, thankful, thank you that we have seen you move in our lives from calling us to yourself, bringing us to salvation, moving in our midst in this body, drawing us together. We just give our lives over to you, God. We acknowledge our sin. We confess now before you, God. We agree, God, that we deserve punishment for those sins. We, we deserve to be cast out. But we also remember now the promises that you made to us when you saved us, that you have welcomed us into your family, that we are now the righteousness of God, that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, that we have a Redeemer who paid all of that for us. What else can we do but sing? Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise. O Lord, O Lord our God. Thank you, Father. You are good. We love you. Help us remember. Help us to live boldly in faith, knowing that the worst that can happen to us is our bodies be killed, but we will be with you forever. We praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Every knee will bow, every eye will see. Thanks for listening to the Parks Church of Melissa podcast. We meet at 1030 Sunday mornings at Melissa Middle School, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. The Parks Church, for the city, about a person.